This morning we, uh, we continue our series called uh, Getting Cross. Getting Cross. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a southern expression meaning uh, when somebody gets angry with somebody else. You're looking kind of cross. You're, you don't get cross with me. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, sometimes that's all the only message we tend to hear when it comes to the cross of Christ, that it has something and only to do with God's anger towards sin and humanity. And so we're exploring uh, more the kaleidoscope of images that Scripture gives us about uh, Jesus on the cross for humanity. I want to read from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, uh, verses 16 through 30. Hear the word of God. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three days at three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet Yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, I think we become uh, more acquainted with Nazareth around Christmas time than we do uh, Jesus' ministry. Um, remember, uh, Nazareth is a small rural place. Um, history tells us that it was. Um, more like a missionary type outpost maybe at one time that possibly uh, Mary's parents or grandparents or that of Joseph's 
would have been uh, moving to the area to be kind of evangelistic in some way. Uh, but by the time of Jesus, it's still this small rural place uh, of the poor. We know that from the beginning of Jesus's ministry, people say, is there anything good that can come from Nazareth? So he's returned home. He's returned home uh, to, uh, to the, the first synagogue of Nazareth. <laughs> In fact, it's the only synagogue in Nazareth. So everybody that has come to worship, to hear uh, the hometown boy done, done good, to come uh, preach his first message. And what's their response? The first response is, oh, did you hear how he read that scripture? He did such a fine job. He could be our next, our, our, our next rabbi. But as he began to unpack that scripture, as it pertains to his own life, not just the synagogue, the town turns. In fact, we hear through the gospels that uh, word has gotten back to his mother Mary that Jesus has lost it. Remember early in, in Mark's gospel, uh, she and Jesus' brothers and sisters go to Peter's house to do what? To bring him home. In fact, the people say, your mother and your brothers are here to speak with you. They're outside. And what does Jesus say? Who are my mother and my brothers? He says it's the people that do the will of God. And he points to all the people around him. You could feel the tension, right? You can't talk to mommy and daddy like that, especially not to a crowd. Uh, but, but Jesus does. You know, last week we, we looked at the, the substitution of, of Jesus' life for our life on the cross. Uh, but today we're thinking of Jesus' life as a ransom. One life to pay off a debt that we can't pay. I think the first thing that we see in, in Jesus' life is that uh, he's called up to read. He's called up to, uh, to, to take the baton of the scroll and to, to read God's word. Have you ever been asked to read in a Sunday school class or a church service? It might surprise you, I have too. <laughs> I get nervous, right? When I was in Sunday school at St. Paul's, I would say, pass. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. <laughs> There's a nervousness there, you know. It's, it feels like it's, it's too big of a moment. I don't want to screw it up. But God does more than just call us to read to other people or to quote Scripture. Jesus also said that, says that God points him out. He's not just called up, he's pointed out. When he says that, the, that uh, the Spirit has anointed him, he's saying that God's finger is pointing right to him and saying, this is the one. Now, you and I as followers of Jesus... We're also counted as anointed by the Spirit. It's as if God's taken all, all ten fingers and more and saying, you are anointed. I've not only called you, 
but I'm pointing you out to do the things that, that Jesus did. All of us, not just a pastor, all of us are called to the same work, and we hear what this work is. Jesus says the anointing of God is for this reason, to proclaim good news, good news to the poor, to be sent to proclaim, that word proclaim again, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for people that have lost their sight, to set oppressed free, and then here comes the word proclaim again. Proclaim the year of God's favor. It's like this era of grace that didn't end with Jesus, but continues through us today. I remember um, when I was in seminary, there was a, uh, a gentleman, I was the, the RA of the dorm. I was the dorm daddy. And so every semester I'd check the students into the dorm, you know, and they would tell me a little about, about their life and I would show them their room and I'd say, don't put any holes in the wall. Don't hang anything up. You can command uh, strip anything you want, but don't put a nail in the wall, please. This is the oldest building on campus. And, uh, and they would tell me a little bit about their, themselves. And there was one student in particular named uh, Tom. And uh, Tom said to me, he said, I, I need to let you know something. He said, um, I suffer seizures sometimes and I have some medicine. And I said, I really appreciate you telling me that. You know, can you show me where you keep that medicine? Can you tell me exactly um, how we can serve you in those uh, uh, vulnerable moments if, if they should arise. And, uh, and he did. And sure enough, that time came uh, that semester, not just once, but 20 times, 20 times. And, and so uh, after a while, uh, you know, I, I became very, um, very used to, you know, kind of what to expect. You know, sometimes he would knock on my door and say, I think I'm going to have a, a seizure. And uh, we would, you know, set him, lay him down, and I would call some, uh, for, for some of our dorm mates to come. Um, but the thing that, that um, just bothered me to no end because all of us in the in the dorm in that men's dorm, we're all preparing for ministry, right? Uh, not all of us are going to be pastors, but we're going to be uh, Christian counselors. We're going to be missionaries. We're going to be Christian teachers. And uh, I remember a, a fellow across from him that when he would have, when Tom would have a seizure, even though his door was open, he would sit at his desk and keep working. He never turned his head to help. He never asked how he could assist. He did nothing. And I remember uh, the, uh, my assistant RA um, could only, for the longest time, all that he would do first was to try to deliver him from demon possession. 
and we had to have a talk, right? And so I learned very quickly that uh, Tom needed uh, understanding in his vulnerability. He needed friends that would step up, and so we formed a, a small group together. And together, for, uh, throughout that semester and the next semester, we would make those rides in the ambulance. We would uh, go on that long walk together. And I have to confess something, that in those moments, I really felt like my assistant and that, uh, that uh, student across the hall, I really felt like they had disqualified themselves from ministry, right? Because if you can't help the person you can see that you live with, gosh, how, how are you going to go to the church, right? How are you going to be sent to a community, you say, Neil, that's pretty harsh. Hear what Jesus says in, in Matthew 25. He says, there will be people that will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Jesus lays down what this law of love looks like. It means you Step up in your uncomfortability, not to read scripture, but to your fellow human being, right? You clothe, you feed, we do the work of God. God calls us not just up, he not only calls us out, but he tells us to put in the work for each other. Maybe a show of hands. How many of your folks growing up said, uh, you need to put on your Sunday best this morning, right? We need to wear our best for God on Sundays, right? Okay, gosh. I can't count the many people that I've known over my short life following Jesus that have said, I don't have clothes. I don't have clothes to show up on Sunday. I wish I could go to church, but I don't, uh, you know, I don't have clothes, to wear like that. And it, uh, I think that time in seminary and my time in ministry have come to, uh, and these words from Jesus have come to help shape what our Sunday best really looks like. It's proclaiming the good news to the poor. It is proclaiming freedom to people that feel and are locked up. It's recovery of sight to those that can't find their way. It's those that can't make ends meet or move forward that feel the, the door of oppression slammed in their face and that can't hear the favor of God's grace even for them today. I, I think I grew up with that Sunday best and I realized that's, an, that's a mirage that we can't lose the sight of Christ's cross, that there is a cost for Jesus, but there's a cost for us to step up to the plate in one another's lives and in our community. That's what Jesus was doing in Nazareth, and these are poor people, right? Why didn't they hear, oh, we're receiving good news? He begins to to make the turn, he begins to make the turn when he says, 
You're going to quote this to me one day. Physician, heal yourself. Why aren't you doing the things here that you did in Capernaum? Jesus' ransom for all of us. See, the, the substitution, you know, to, to, for, for a substitution, it's instead of us. But a ransom is something that's for all of us. For all of us. There's something about sin. There's something about our fallen nature where we get to the point where we say, you know what, I feel like, I feel like I, that, I, that I don't have the power or the control to make changes in my life to live for Jesus. That I need, I need somebody to pay a debt I can't pay myself. Tom was in such a position. He, could, he had no power or control we had to step up. In sin, we have no power and control. Jesus stepped up. There comes a point where we confess that I need, you need, we need saving. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus that leads that charge but also gives us the anointing to do his same work. Let us pray together. God, I thank you that we all are worth your love, your time, your care, your death on the cross that has paid our sins in full so that we could go free, that we could live a new life, that we could stretch our faith and be that brother and that sister to one another, to not turn an eye to what's right before us, to not just pray spiritual prayers as if they are a substitute for physical needs and freedom. God, help us to live a life like Jesus, not just for the one, but for the many, to put in the hard work of picking up our cross for the many as we follow Jesus this Lenten season. It's in his name we all pray saying, amen and amen.